I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time in our service, where we worship you with our hearts and our minds. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts willing to obey your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So, Lord, teach us today, Lord. Let us hear your voice, your message for us today. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 1 through chapter 10, verse 11. So chapter 9, 1, all the way to 10, 11. This is all one big section, and so we're going to tackle it all today. Uh, Hopefully it won't take all day, but we're going to tackle the whole, at least uh, chapter and a half today and uh, understand what God is trying to teach us in this text. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 143 in the Pew Bible. Page 143 in the Pew Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, then you can take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you, because we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Use it and let let God uh, speak to you through His Word. So Deuteronomy 9, starting in 1 all the way to 10, 11. We're not going to read all of it. We're just going to work through it today. But when we're looking at Moses, and of course when we talk about the life of Moses, Moses is most often hailed as a great leader, and thus he was. He was a great, wonderful leader, one of the greatest leaders who have ever, ever lived. I mean, think about all that he did. He took about 2 million people and uh, helped them wander around the wilderness for 40 years after he brought them out of Egypt. Then he helped them get through the wilderness for 40 years and then brought them all the way up to the promised land. And now he is getting ready to, to send them into the promised land. He's not going to get to go with them, but he's getting ready. And so he has been their great leader uh, all of this time. And he was a great leader. But Moses... As great a leader as he was, he wouldn't have been a very good football coach. Especially when we read this text. I was just thinking about this this morning. I kind of changed things in my sermon because it just hit me this morning. Moses would not have been a good football coach. Because he is there on the, the, you remember, there on the plains of Moab, getting ready to go in to conquer the promised land. And and Moses, is. this is his last address to them. And, and, you know, a football coach, I remember my days, that's a long time ago, but I remember those days of playing football, and it's game night, and we're there in the field house, and we're getting ready to go, and the coach, before we go out, he, he comes out to give his motivational speak, speech, right? You guys, you've been working hard all week. You deserve this. Go out, fight, 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 win, right? Get us all fired up and motivated. Moses takes a different direction. (laughs) Moses takes a a completely opposite direction. In fact, what we're going to see today as we begin to work through this text, Moses tells them, you're a bunch of knuckleheads. You're knuckleheads. 
You don't deserve anything. If you deserve anything, you deserve God's wrath, not this victory. But guess what? God's going to give it to you anyway. (laughs) He is going to tell them not how great and wonderful they are. He's not going to try to build them up and build up their self-esteem. He's going to remind them of who they are, what they've done, and who God is, and what God has done and will do. He's going to remind them of God's undeserved grace. And and as we've been going through this, you remember where we are in Deuteronomy. Most of you who've been here, you remember where we are. This is a time of covenant renewal. Israel's been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. They broke the covenant with God. We're going to talk about that today. God brought them out of Egypt. He established a covenant with them. And no sooner than God established a covenant with them, Israel broke the covenant. And now there's this time of covenantal renewal taking place as Moses is preparing them for the journey even ahead. And so there's this covenantal renewal going on. And Moses has already given the the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments, the general stipulations. And now he is going through systematically, working through those ten commandments and applying those ten commandments to the life of Israel. And we're on that first commandment right now. All the way through chapter 11, Moses is focusing on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Give your wholehearted allegiance to God. That's what he's saying. And he's been giving us reason after reason why Israel and we should give our wholehearted allegiance to God. And he just continues to build that even today. We see that we are to give our wholehearted allegiance to God because of his undeserved grace. That's the main message today. Give your wholehearted allegiance to God because of his undeserved grace. Because he is a gracious and merciful God who does not give us what we deserve, but what we need. So as we begin then to work through this, again, we, let's start with Moses' motivational speech as he begins to prepare Israel for their venture into the promised land. Starting there in chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you. Cities great and fortified up to the heaven. A people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know, therefore, that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish as quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now, at this point, it sounds pretty good, right? He's starting off on a good track. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in, and these guys are bigger than you are. They're badder than you are. But the Lord is a consuming fire, and he's going to destroy them before you. Now, they might be feeling pretty good about themselves. All right. Yes. 
They, they, they kind of remember. They've, they've just had some great victories, right? They've, they've already been there in the, the land of Midian, and, and they destroyed Og and, and uh, the other guy, the two kings of, of the Midianites. They, they've already done that. They've had those great and wonderful victories. And, and so Israel might be feeling pretty good about themselves, right? <laughs> we got this. We're pretty bad, right? We can do this. No wonder God is bringing us into this land of promise. I mean, look at us. But Moses wants to make sure they don't get too full of themselves, and so he continues. Verse 4, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your hearts are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving them out uh, from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. He wants to make sure, right? It's not because you're righteous. Uh, they might be lifted up. They might be brought to pride. They, they might have an overvalued sense of their own self-worth and say, oh yes, we're worthy. God has counted us worthy. We deserve this because we are so much more righteous than these other people. We're so mighty and powerful. We deserve this. And just God has given us what we deserve. And Moses says, no, no, no. Don't go there, guys. Don't start buying into the lie, right? Don't buy, buy into the, the, the press. Because, you know, that's what happens. That's what happens, right? You begin to read your own press. And people start talking about, oh, Israel, they're, man, they're just a great nation, mighty nation. Look at all they're doing. We see that even today. Oh, look at that person. Look, look, look how great he is and, and how wonderful he is and all that he accomplished and all this. And, and people begin to read their own press and believe their own press. And they know that they're not all that press is making out to be, but they begin to buy into it. Oh, maybe I am something. And Moses says, don't buy into it. You're not something, you're nothing. The reason God is doing what he is doing is because, one, because of the wickedness of the people. You see, the people over there in the land of promise, they're just as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah before. And God delivered judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and just like God delivered judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he's delivering judgment on these nations because they're a wicked, evil nation who have gone away from God, and God is bringing judgment. Just like ultimately God would deliver judgment on the nation of Israel with the nations of Assyria and Babylon as you read on through the Old Testament. Right? Because God is a just God and He judges nations according to their deeds and he, he causes nations to rise and He causes them to fall because of His justice. So number one, it's because they're so wicked. Number two, it's because of God's promise. It's because of God's promise. It's because God promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob he told them that he would be a gracious God to them and give them this promised land give you the, the people of Israel this promised land that's why he's doing it God is doing this not because of who you are but because of who he is 
Because He is a gracious and merciful God who has chosen to love you and set His love upon you and give you this good land. That's why God is doing this. Israel was a wicked nation. They had sinned against God. They sinned against God. As we continue on there, notice there in verse 6, Picking up in verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember. Boy, that's something we all need to do sometimes, isn't it? When we start buying into our own press, we need to remember. We need to take a, a walk down memory lane to remember how we were before God came into our lives. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you, uh, till you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up, to the, when I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of the stone, tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. That was when the, the elders went up and met with God. And God talked to the elders. And he established that a covenant with them. You, I will be your God. You will be my people. And the elders said, yes, Lord, we will do whatever you tell us to do. Just don't speak to us anymore lest we die. You tell Moses, and Moses can come tell us, and we'll, just, we'll do whatever. Yes, Lord, you will be our God. We will be your people. So Moses is re reflecting back on that moment. And at that time at, the time, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Rise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. God is through with them, right? They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. So no sooner, right? Forty years prior at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel make a covenant with God. Yes, Lord, we will be your people. You will be our God. We are committed to you. We will follow you wholeheartedly. Yet 40 days later, they're having a party around an idol. Right? Not even a month has passed by and they've broken covenant with God. They have spurned His covenant. Instead of giving wholehearted allegiance, they've fallen into wholehearted idolatry. Worshiping an image. Even while Moses was on the mountain... Even while the mountain was still shaking and the fire and all the, the smoke was consuming the mountain... They went astray. 
What a wicked, wicked people. Israel, they didn't deserve God's grace. They didn't deserve God's grace. They deserved God's wrath because of their wickedness. But what God was gracious to them. And He forgave their sin and overcame their sin. And so we see this covenant being renewed in the plains of Moab because of God's grace. Not because of their, the Israel's goodness. Not because of the people's goodness. They're wicked and evil. It's all about God's grace. And we need to understand that today. Salvation is by God's grace alone. You do not deserve God's grace. You do not deserve God's grace. I do not deserve God's grace. N none of us in here deserve God's grace. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve His judgment. We deserve His condemnation. We deserve eternity in hell for our rebellion against Him. That's what we deserve. But God is a gracious and merciful God who freely gives His grace to whomever will receive it. Oh, praise God for His grace. I mean, just think about it, Christians, just Christians, all right? Think about your own life. Think about your own life. How many times, even this week, how many times have you failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? How many times? How many times, just this week, not your whole life, just this week, how many times have you profaned the name of Christ by the way that you have treated someone? Whether someone in traffic, or some lady at the grocery store, or wherever, how many times have you failed the Lord? Just this week. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve it. Yet God freely gives it. Salvation is by God's grace alone. You and I do not deserve God's grace. If God gave us what we deserve, we would receive God's righteous wrath and judgment because of our sin. Salvation is by grace alone. He didn't save you because you were something special. He saved you because of His grace. Now in case the Israelites would argue the point, Moses continues to remind them of their absolute depravity. Let's pick up in verse 13 there. He's kind of picking up the story. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Now this is just a, a free point here, extra. We're talking about the golden calf that they built. They've built this God for themselves, a golden calf. Notice how the language shifts. Now this people is a stiff-necked, stubborn people, just like a, an ox would be. They are becoming what they are worshiping, and thus usually happens. We become what we worship, whether it be God or something of this world. This is a stubborn people 
Let me alone, Moses. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain. And the mountain was burning with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Now, a lot of times we look at this and say, well, why did Moses? Moses just lost his temper. And maybe he did. He certainly had right to at this point. This would be righteous anger because they had sinned against the holy God. And so Moses would be right in his anger if he was angry at this point. But this also serves as a a visual to the people of Israel because Moses is holding in his hands the words of the covenant. Right? They had entered into this covenant with God, and God is giving them the, the words of the covenant, His law, this is how you shall live, this is how you shall be my people. And so when Moses breaks the, the commandments, when he breaks these two tablet stones, he is symbolizing the people of God have broken the covenant. No sooner than they had entered into this covenant, now they have broken the covenant. The covenant is null and void. It is no good because of the people of Israel, not because of God. God was a faithful God. The people of Israel had broken the covenant. And they had sinned against a holy God. The covenant has been broken. And so the words of the covenant have been destroyed. But then... Moses does something, right? He, he steps in. Moses takes on his mediatory role. We talked about that a while back, but, but here again, we see it come out again. Moses is the mediator of the covenant. He is the mediator of the covenant. So God is making a covenant with the people of Israel, but Israel, the people of Israel, they don't want to deal with God directly because that's dangerous. And so they've asked Moses to be their mediator, their go-between, to to be their representative to God and God's representative to them. And so now Moses is going to take on that mediatory role and intercede for the people of Israel. This is wonderful and amazing. Look there in verse 17. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of uh, of my two hands and broke them uh, before your eyes. Then... Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that He was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. He listened to me. He listened to my prayers. He listened to my pleading. 
And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron. Also, at the same time, then I took the sinful thing, the the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it up, uh, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. Moses here acts as the great mediator of the old covenant between God and Israel. He intercedes for the people and he gives of himself sacrificially. Right? He puts his own well-being aside. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he lays on the ground before the Lord, pleading for the people, pleading for the people, forgive them, Lord God, forgive them. Remember your great and mighty name. Remember your wonderful works. Remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, please do not destroy them. Please do not destroy them. 40 days, 40 nights, he pleads for Israel. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them. He sacrifices Himself for the people. And God hears Him. And God responds in grace. And then He takes the sinful thing. He takes the sin of the people. And He destroys the sin from among them. He grinds it. You you see the visualization here. Here's this great and mighty golden statue. And He grinds it. He doesn't melt it down and, and turn it into something else. No, He grinds it into dust. And He throws it into the brook so that the waters of the brook will take the sin away from the people. You don't repurpose this. You get rid of it. You get rid of sin. You don't change sin. You don't transform sin. Sin is evil and vile and disgusting. You get rid of it. And Moses gets rid of the sin on behalf of the people. Moses sacrifices himself to appeal to God and to destroy the sin of Israel. Now Moses is the mediator of the old covenant. A covenant that's written on stone. A covenant that no longer exists. It's outdated. It's been removed. And Moses is a mediator who ultimately died. In fact, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies, right? That he's no more. Other mediators had to come in and take place and, and begin to be mediators for the people like Aaron and his sons after him and other prophets after them. See, the old covenant was a faulty covenant. It wasn't a, it wasn't a perfect covenant. It was to reveal a covenant that was to come, a greater covenant, a, a, an eternal covenant. And you see, in the new covenant that God has established with us, We have a better mediator, a more righteous mediator, a mediator who has given far more for us. Jeremiah tells of this new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them 
by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Not on tablets of stone. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor each, uh, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sin no more. Salvation is by God's grace alone through God's covenantal mediator alone. For the Old Covenant, it came through Moses. Moses was the great mediator of the Old Covenant who sacrificed himself for the sake of the people. Who did what he had to do to destroy the sin and get rid of the sin of the people so that the covenant might be renewed and restored. But we have a greater mediator, Jesus Christ. Christ is the mediator of an eternal covenant. A covenant not written on stone, but written in our hearts that changes us from the inside out, not the outside in. Jesus came and He sacrificed Himself not just for 40 days and 40 nights, but Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and there He took on our shame and our suffering in our place. He paid the ultimate price for our sin so that our sin could be destroyed and annihilated, ground into dust, and sent down the river. Jesus took care of our sin so that we might experience God's grace fully and completely. Oh, God's grace is so undeserved. We don't deserve it. And we can never do anything to earn it. But God's grace is freely given through His mediator, Jesus Christ. Dear friend, never ever think you're all that. Because you're not. You don't deserve God's grace. You can never earn God's grace. But God's grace and mercy comes freely to all who will receive it. We need to understand God's undeserved grace. Salvation is by God's grace alone through God's covenantal mediator, Jesus Christ alone, period. We don't deserve it, but it's freely given to us. We need to always be aware of overvaluating self-worth. Be aware, always be aware of overvaluating self-worth because we get there. That's why Paul warns do not think of yourself more highly than you ought because we tend to do that. 
Beware of overvaluing self-worth. We have a tendency to look to, at Israel, even, even as we read all of this, right? And the story goes on, and we're not covering a lot of that today, but, but Moses, he continues on. He, he doesn't just stop with the golden calf. He reminds them of other places like uh, Terabah and Massa and Kiriath Hatava and uh, Kadesh Barnea when, when the people of Israel were supposed to go in and take possession of the land and they rebelled against God and that's when God sent them into the wilderness 40 days or for 40 years and again Moses pleaded before God and acted as their mediator right they continued to sin before God and, and that's the way we are we don't need to think more highly of ourselves we have a tendency to do that we have a tendency to even look at Israel and say, how could they be so foolish? I've had that thought. Have you had that thought? I mean, when you're reading these stories and you're thinking, what are they thinking? I mean, they see the fire on the mountain and they're building a calf. How do they do that? They're so foolish. And we kind of think, I would never do that. Let me tell you, the only reason you haven't done that, the only reason that you didn't act the way Israel acted is because you weren't there. If you'd have been there, you'd have been with Aaron and all those other heathens dancing around that golden calf, praising this false god. It's only by God's grace that you weren't there. It's only by God's grace that we don't sin more than we do now. It's all for, about God's grace. And here's what, here's what I found in my life. Here, here's what Christian maturity begins to produce in us. Right? As we grow in Christians, and, and you young Christians, you, you may not get that yet, but as you grow in Christ, as you grow in His Word, you, you think you become so much better and so much holier, but really, often what happens as you grow as a Christian, as you begin to realize how depraved you are. And you begin to see that it's not just about doing this and doing that. It's about the attitudes of your own heart. And, and I begin to look at myself, and I actually prayed this this morning. God, how do you put up with me? Because as we grow in God's Word, we begin to see our sin even more and more and more. And we, we, it, that's what happens, and that's what needs to happen. We need to see our depravity. We need to see our sin and let that draw us closer to God. Always leaning on Him. Depending upon Him. Because it's not because of anything in us. Whatever growth we have as Christians... Whatever spiritual success we have in life, it's all because of God's undeserved grace. God's grace is undeserved. And the whole point that Moses is trying to make to Israel and to us is this. This is the sermon in a nutshell, a sermon in a sentence 
Give your wholehearted allegiance to the Lord because of His undeserved saving grace established through His covenantal mediator, Jesus Christ. Give your wholehearted allegiance to the Lord because of His undeserved saving grace established through His covenantal mediator, Jesus Christ. That's the point of this. That's what Moses is trying to teach us. Why should we keep the first commandment? Why should we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why should we serve Him day in and day out? Why? Because of His undeserved grace. He deserves our allegiance. Because He's not given us what we deserve. He's given us what we need. His grace and His mercy. Give your allegiance to the Lord because of His undeserved grace. Now maybe today you've been, you're here and you've never experienced the grace of God. You've never trusted about Jesus. Maybe you've never even heard about Jesus and what Christ has done for you. You've never heard that Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you might be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God. Maybe you've never heard that, but I want you to know that God's grace is extending to you today. There's a reason you're hearing this. God's grace is extended to you today and, G and God is saying, trust in my son Jesus. Surrender to my son Jesus and I will save you. God's hand is extended. He's saying receive it. And all you have to do is receive it. And God will freely give you his grace. Will you trust in him today? Will you receive his grace, his undeserved grace today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the record that you have given us of Israel's history, Lord, and, and we can see their faults and failures, and they're even lived out before us in this history. Oh, Lord, let us not be so foolish to think that we are better than they. Because, Lord, if we certainly, if we examine our hearts and examine our hearts according to your word, we will see real quick like that we are just as sinful, just as depraved and ugly as they were. But nevertheless, Lord, you loved us even while we were yet sinners. You loved us and sent your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you for your undeserved grace. Now, Lord, instill that in our hearts. And out of a heart of appreciation and love for your grace, may we give our wholehearted allegiance to you. Lord, we want to live for you, honor you, glorify you in everything that we do so that the people around us, our community, our state will know that you are God. Lord, 
certainly there's those who've never trusted in your name. Maybe it's misinformation. Maybe it's not enough information. Or that maybe they've just been scared. Oh Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts today. Let them see the sacrifice that Jesus has made for them. Let them receive Christ and trust in Him. Let them receive your undeserved grace. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.